We are a bell ringing in the night. We are a bird calling forth the light. We are the play and the playwright. We are a bridge to another side. Oh, ring on. Welcome everyone to Goddard in the World podcast. My name is Amanda Faye Latson. I am your host and I am here today with three very special guests. The first is Karen Miriam Goldberg. She is the 2009 to 13 Kansas Poet Laureate author of 24 books and founder of Transformative Language Arts. Our second guest is Angie Ebba. She is a queer, disabled writer, educator, and performer who has taught writing workshops and performed across the United States. Our third guest is Joy Zimmerman. She is a touring folk and acoustic roots singer-songwriter who cultivates joy and community with a stunningly clear and rich voice. Welcome, everybody. Hello, Amanda. Thank you so much. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. It's thrilling to be able to talk to you today on this afternoon. One of the things that we all have in common is our connection to transformative language arts. Uh, Joy and I serve on the board. Uh, Karen is the chair of the board of the Transformative Language Arts Network. And Angie and I both went through the Transformative Language Arts program at Goddard College. So one of the questions I want to ask to all of you is to tell me an early story that made you realize the power of words. I'll jump in and and tell you my story if you like. Thank Um, you, you, Angie. Yeah. So when I very first started teaching, I was teaching um, at a juvenile detention center. It was a kind of one house, uh, schoolhouse, basically, um, working with kids from ages 10 up till the day before their 18th birthday, basically. And... I had a, a repeat student who was, who was in there a lot and uh, never wanted to do any schoolwork, um, had dropped out of high school, um, and just really was not, was not feeling it. And then we did a lesson on poetry and suddenly it was like he came alive mm-hmm. and watching that process happen in kind of real time from seeing him not wanting to do any writing at all to um, wanting to be able to take pencil back to his cell after school to be able to to write more and more. And, uh, you know, he kept writing for years. And uh, that was that was my first moment where I really saw um, just how important writing could be in somebody's life outside of just my own. Sure. That's, that's amazing. Uh, do you remember what poem or poetry that he sparked with? Um, I don't remember what, um, poem we were looking at or what we were doing. I remember his first poem was about a wolf. Uh, but then it, they really went from there and, and there were a lot of poems that were very, um, directly about the experience of being incarcerated and mm. what that meant as a young person. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I grew up playing violin, classical violin, and didn't start playing guitar until, I don't know, maybe 12, 15 years ago, somewhere in there, kind of my midlife. And I had never written a song before. And I was a social worker. And so I started sort of gently sort of writing songs. um, And I was doing workshops at the time at Turning Point Center for Hope and Healing. uh, here in Kansas City. And I realized if I brought some of my original songs, um, that they were having an impact. And it was really wonderful to weave the lyrics and the music into what I was doing with both adults and kids. And I uh, just started to realize, oh, there's some there's some power here. Um, and um, it was sort of life life altering for me. Mm, thank you. And for me, there's been so many moments. Um, personally, I started writing poetry when I was about 14. And I had been a kid artist. I was always drawing and painting and doing pastels. And my family was falling apart and things were getting kind of dangerous and extremely uncertain. And I was just 
gripped by incredible fear and despair and sat down on a curb of a garden apartment and wrote a poem. And from there, it was no turning back. But especially what aided and abetted me was having a really great witness, a high school teacher who I'm still in touch with, Judith Rance Roney, who encouraged me. So I learned early on about not just the power of writing, but the power of having a good witness who says, you know, who can basically mirror back to you that you matter, your words matter, I see you, I hear you. Mm, thank you. What what was it that drew you specifically to poetry, Karen? And then Angie, you're also a poet and Joy, you're a songwriter. So what, what drew you or how did you early on practice your word word making? <laughs> I think I needed words to help explain what I was experiencing in my life to me from a new perspective. And I was, I was incredibly lonely and isolated. And I felt like I had a best friend in my journal. Um, and I don't know why poetry specifically, but I do know I love music and I played piano and was really into music my entire life and still am. You know, poetry is something that's halfway between music and other literary arts. And in some ways, it's even like a fine art because you're crafting a poem to look a certain way on the poem on the page and working with space and silence as well as words and sound. So I was just hooked. Thank you. Yeah. I also don't know what originally drew me to poetry. I can say what has kept me with poetry is the conciseness of it and the way you were taking such large conceptual things and, putting them into really bite-sized, what feels like manageable pieces um, for, especially if it's writing about things that are, you know, tougher subject matters. And I think that is part of why I keep turning back to poetry and also have started doing like some micro memoir and stuff is because it's so consolidated and so concise. And you, you are also, I looked at your website, um, you, you also are a visual artist. So yeah. do you also consider the like playing with the words on the page and the space? <laughs> no one can see what I'm doing because it's a podcast, but I'm like floating my fingers through the air. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And, and even more than that, I really love pairing, um, visual art with written word and having the two kind of work together to create a, a, a greater picture. Mm, thank you. Enjoy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's crazy when you sort of reinvent yourself midlife and I never thought of myself as a writer. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I would do a little bit on my own here and there in my journals and things. Um, but it wasn't again till I wove the songs and the, the music with, uh, with these words. And, uh, and then it was sort of primarily it was music first. And then I realized there was a lot of, uh, of, uh, content that I wanted to say. I was also working with, um, some young folks that were having a hard time at a residential treatment facility. And um, it was around the time when I was starting to write music. And I was just thinking of what I would want to say to myself as a, as a girl um, and sort of what I wanted to say to them and just putting that all together. And then again, like Karen and Angie have said, like how to be concise with that and just measuring each word and where the emphasis would go with the song you know, it would be on the beat and, and would it, you know, with the melody rise or um, just playing around with all of that and experimenting with it, which I still do now. Mm. I love, I love thinking of, it's the power of words, but it's also marrying words with other art forms, um, you know, with whether it's visual art or music. Um, so I also have written poetry I don't consider myself a poet like all the time. Um, but Karen, when I was at Goddard, made me just <laughs> like, just like you're writing poetry in your journals, just put it on a page, <laughs> like put it on its own page. Um, and so I would do that. But, but I think 
Yeah, for me, poetry, the conciseness, but also the immediacy, like, or the way it can capture immediacy, like, if I'm in front of a painting, or, you know, and I'm reacting in a certain way, poetry, for me, has has felt like it could capture a moment better than an essay or a memoir or whatever. So, Karen, you were talking to to us about um, writing poetry at a young age um, to to deal with your like current life, your family life, um, and that to me feels very like I mean I didn't know it at the time, but like feels very TLA transformative language arts. So, can you tell me a little bit about how that developed and then how it ended up finding a home at Goddard? Well, I tried to do other things for a living, but I kept having to return to poetry and writing. And of course, I write in many genres, turn on the faucet, see what comes out. But um, I just felt like this is what I had to do. I had to keep following it. So long story short, I started teaching at the University of Kansas to support my poetry habit while getting a master's and then a PhD in creative writing and poetry. And I found love with teaching. And from there, I really fell hard for not so much conveying or trying to download into students any kind of you know information, but facilitating a space where people could find their own answers, their own direction, their own words. And through a very wild and surprising story, I ended up teaching at Goddard College starting in 1996. And at the same time, I was doing writing workshops in my community on writing and healing. I had started just doing writing workshops, but my students showed me they were there to be witnessed and to really name what what had hurt them, what had trapped them, and how they could get free. And simultaneously, my students at Goddard, particularly women, particularly people of color and others who are marginalized, um, LGBTQ plus population and so on, over and over I saw that people needed to tell their own stories and be well witnessed in order to get to the point that they could do deep critical thinking or um, or find ways to contribute to their communities significantly or click into a job or a life or a family or community that worked for them. Not to say that wasn't happening, but there was a certain power and freedom in being able to say, this is who I am. This is what I've lived. This is what I don't see reflected around me. And um, this is the silence I have to break from what I went through to kind of claim my own words again. And all of that led me to start working with others to found transformative language arts at Goddard as a master's program concentration. And we launched in 2000. And I would say it's been, it's been one of these journeys where whenever I've had doubts, which has been constant at some point, something kept happening to show me this is needed and we have to keep going. I remember going into the woods one day um, past chigger and tick season. If you live in Kansas, you know what I mean. And just sitting there feeling like this program's not going to work. I've just made this whole thing up, transformative language arts. Who is this going to reach or connect with? I'm just deluding myself. And then I heard the phone ring in the house back when we had landlines. And I pick up the phone and somebody's on the other end saying, this names for me what I've been doing my whole life. And this helps me to make sense of where I'm going. And so more and more people started stepping in and helping develop it and grow it from there. And we're all kind of on that journey. We're unfolding it, the path as we make the path. How did you develop transformative language arts specifically um, 
not opposed to, but like, um, you know, distinct, like distinct from other writing programs. With great difficulty, I would say. <laughs> um, in the early <laughs> days, I remember conference calls with the Goddard MFA creative writing program and the psychology program. And everybody was like, you can't step here. This is us. This is what we're doing. And you have to, you know, what is it you're actually doing? And is this therapeutic? And are you, um, are you setting up writers to be in situations of facilitating things that, um, that they really don't have the training for it? And there were a lot of hard and difficult questions to ponder, but it was all for the good. So early on, I found that I needed to work with others and find language to distinguish this, to say, yes, a lot of creative writing does involve going out into your community and doing workshops and helping people um, find their words and put them out there. One of the big distinctions is workshops and classes and retreats and training for people who are on the path of being a creative writer in the world. And that's what um, the best MFA programs help people learn to do in so many ways. And then sometimes also work with other populations. I work with people living with serious illness through Turning Point, the organization Joy mentioned, and I've been doing that for over 20 years. And I work with so many other populations of people who would not consider themselves writers. And what I have found is it's kind of like an ecosystem. So there's soft boundaries between what it means to be in the writing world and what it means to just be a human who writes, who may or may not identify as a writer and likely is not on the track to try to publish and do readings and so on. Because when we help people find their own words, find their own power, say what they need to say in the language that's most intrinsic and authentic to them, the writing is powerful. So it's hard for me to distinguish this writing from that writing or this way of teaching writing from that way of teaching writing. But I believe so much that particularly with the world as fragmented as it is, the more we can help people come together and use their own words to speak of their world, the more we're doing that work of that um, Hebrew term, tikkun olam, we're putting together the broken pieces of the world to make some new mosaics of meaning and resilience, and in some cases, sheer survival. Thank you. Angie, you're a fellow TLA graduate like me. What brought you there? Why TLA? Um, and what did you study? Like, this is always an interesting question. What did you come in wanting to study? And then what did you end up studying? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I got there in a very circuitous route. Um, essentially, um, I lived very close to one of the kind of satellite campuses and was like, oh, I wanted to go back to school for myself, um, not for a career change or anything, but because I just really, I really love school and I really wanted to do that. And so the program that was there is the MFA program. And I started talking to somebody in the admissions about that. And she was like, I really don't think this is what you're going for. <laughs> She's oh. like, I actually think you might want to look at this other program. And so I did and ended up um, at the Vermont campus with, with doing TLA. And I, gosh, what did I go in studying? I don't know. <laughs> it took so many routes. Um, I know that I wanted to do stuff around um, poetry and bringing it to um, making it more accessible to the everyday population. And so I was thinking like kind of guerrilla street art poetry type, type stuff. Um, what I ended up 
twisting and turning and <laughs> hula hooping around to finally get to um, was looking at the ways that telling our stories, uh, specifically women and non-binary folks telling our stories through performance um, mm-hmm. and through through other means. But my, my main focus was, was on performance, how that can kind of create change and growth um, and uh, disassemble shame. Mm. Why, why performance? Like, why did you end up choosing performance? Because Karen twisted my arm. Sure. <laughs> I uh, resonate with that. <laughs> I, I started doing burlesque um, about a year before I uh, started at Goddard. And I kept writing about my experiences and Karen and several of the other um, people there were like, uh, you keep bringing this up, you keep bringing up performance, you keep bringing up performance that so you really should incorporate burlesque into your work. And so finally, I was like, oh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's it very interesting. I mean, I can really attribute Goddard to uh, and, and my time in that program to really synthesizing some parts of my life that were very fragmented and separate. And my performance persona and my individual like self as a human um, would be one of those things. And so, you know, prior to that, those were very different identities. And mm-hmm. now those, those two parts of me live simultaneously in the same body, you know? Mm. I love that. Yeah. And Joy, you weren't at Goddard, but how did transformative language arts come, come into your life? <laughs> Well, I have another Karen twisting my arm story as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's a common theme here. Um, so I had known Karen through, I think, Turning Point and just sort of being around. Um, and uh, there was a Power of Words conference here in Kansas City um, at Unity Village. And um, I'm not sure if I had registered first or, um, but at some point, Karen said, you know, you're already doing TLA which I didn't even realize or identify as such. And she said, would you do, um, would you participate and give a performance essentially as part of, I think it was the Fringe Festival after the conference. And it was so empowering for me. And, and again, what she saw in me um, and what I was doing, um, it was, it was a really uh, turning point for me as it were um, to identify myself that way and see what I actually was doing. And um, since then have sort of grown into doing more of it. Um, but that was a, that was a powerful moment. And then recently invited, she invited me to be on the board. Mm-hmm. How would you now, now that you know that you're doing TLA, how would you define your own work as fitting into the TLA sort of, <laughs> model? That's a good question. Um, I love that the umbrella is big and that music is included. I just recently had my um, CD release concert. um, And I feel like that was, again, a really a powerful moment where I realized that the stories that I was telling before the songs and the story within the songs really had an impact on people. And I think as I've learned to, again, tell um, stories in introduction to my songs and realize um, that people really are paying attention to the words um, much more than I, than I even thought. Um, so I guess I would say that um, I guess there's, there's transformative power in um, what I choose to sing about and write about um, and the way that music can engender community um, is part of it as well. And um I choose to write about, I think, a lot of transformational topics, things that I've struggled with, things that I've seen other people um, wrestle with personally and then as a community, just lots of, lots of, um, yeah, sort of cutting edge things for me. And if I can jump in, because I was at Joy's CD release concert, and I can give a few examples. She sang a song about her Swedish, is it great grandmother? Yes. Yes. And the struggles and hardship and close calls and just, you know, utter, utter, I I don't even know how to describe it, deep courage of coming to this new land and starting a life in very harsh conditions as a way to convey what's been passed down generationally 
And there she was singing with her son, who's an accomplished musician in his own right, also songs about, um, you know, holding, I cuddled my, my boys when they were young and bringing up these children in a really loving way. And here we are all witnessing this and connecting with our own generations. So to me, this is an example of just the mirror that TLA gives us where we can see someone else's survival, healing, courage, and deep love for each other in place. And we can feel that in ourselves. Mm. That's beautiful. Um, it's a good segue uh, because we are all here to talk about our connection with the upcoming 2023 Power of Words conference, which will be taking place online all day uh, for like midnight to midnight, <laughs> um, I, I believe, um, on November 11, 2023. Uh, Karen, can you, uh, th the reason it's a segue I'll, t I'll talk about later is my own presentation at the conference. <laughs> but, so Karen, can you talk about um, first how the Power of Words conference came about? Really early on, it was clear to me that if TLA was to grow and be whatever it is supposed to be in the world, it has to be way beyond me, way beyond Goddard. And we'll see what happens when we send it out in the world. So I managed to get the college to support me for a number of years in um, helping organize and hold a conference at Goddard College. Our first one was in 2003. And it was the the weekend of the great New York Northwest blackout. Great. So yeah. some of our <laughs> keynoters couldn't even get there. Oh, but no. we had this incredible time. And there's just recognition over and over, like Angie recognized herself and you recognized yourself. When we come together doing this work in the world and say, what is this? How do we language this? How do we develop this? And then we did it at the college for a number of years. We had some incredible people, Grace Paley, activist, mm. writer in one of the last years of her life. And I have a long, funny story about her constantly telling me she wasn't sure she could come, then forgetting about it, then us assuming she couldn't make it, and then she showed up anyway. And we just had these marvelous um, confluences of people. But it was also clear from the get-go that we needed to form a nonprofit, and this organization should take over the conference eventually so that it's not a conference that's about or tied to one educational institute. So we formed the TLA Network in 2005, and I think by 2008 or so, TLAN or TLAN um, started doing the conference as its deal. And the conference has moved all over the country. It's been in Vermont. I was looking at pictures today in Facebook memories of when we were on the beach in Maine at um, Saco Beach. It's been in Kansas City a few times. It's been at uh, Pendle Hill, a beautiful Quaker retreat center outside Pit, uh, Philadelphia. And it's even been in Arizona. And as the pandemic swirled around and landed, we had to reconfigure the college. I'm sorry, reconfigure the conference as virtual. And we have been, as Amanda and Joy know from being on the board, rebirthing our whole organization to be more relevant and to reach more and more people and bring in more voices. Yeah, definitely. I... Um, I'm very excited for this virtual one. I remember my first Power of Words conference, I believe, was in 2007 at Goddard. Um, David Abrams was the keynote speaker, I think, and Allison Hedgecoke was uh, did a keynote performance, um, and then she also did this this uh, post conference workshop called coupling the beautiful and horrendous that I still think about all the time. <laughs> I, you know, I where 
and she she led us through exercises looking at different um things in our lives and like how you know how they crystallize uh when they're of great beauty or of great horror um and yeah it was it's just like super fascinating um uh, angie have you ever been to a power words conference yeah i was um at the power words conference and and did a performance um in the one that was in Vermont. And then I believe last year's online, um, if not the year before, I can't remember. Time is relative. <laughs> um, but yes, at least one of the online um, Power Words conferences as well. Great. And Joy, you were mentioning going to Unity Village. Yes. What was that experience like? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was uh, really um, exciting to be around, again, just this big umbrella of TLA and uh, finding where I fit in it. Um, the variety of workshops was really impressive to me. It was really my first introduction to TLA. Mm. It's a good one. That's great. So each of us are presenting at The Power of Words, um, and I would love for us all to talk about what we're planning to present. Let's start with Angie. Yeah, um, I am going to be presenting um, a workshop called My Body is Not a Battlefield, Illness, Body, and the Use of Metaphor. And um, basically, we're just going to be looking at the way that metaphor has been used, especially in the health field. Um, there's some research around um, kind of the ways that some of the more negative metaphors can influence patients. And so just looking at that and looking at ways that we can reclaim metaphor and use um, metaphor to create the narratives that we want to tell about our body, our health, our illness, disability, those sorts of things. Mm, that sounds awesome. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this a lot. Very exciting. Joy. I'll be doing a keynote performance um, with a really good friend of mine named Erin McGrain. She is a singer-songwriter and a poet and really a community connector um, here in Kansas City. And uh, we're going to do a, a joint performance together involving music and poetry in the evening. Oh, very exciting. Karen? I'll be co-presenting with Catherine Lorenzen, who's also on a board, on our board, and she has... 40 years experience in business communications and recruiting and helping people find their right livelihoods and their, their jobs and where they fit in. And we're doing a workshop on your right livelihood, finding the work that is of your heart through transformative language arts, how we can use our transformative language arts, callings and charms and challenges to compose our livelihoods. How about you, Amanda? You're doing a workshop. Yeah, I am doing a workshop. I'm not just a podcast host. I'm also doing a workshop here. Um, my workshop is called Using TLA to Create and Deepen Your Family Archive. Um, so I am going to be walking people through different ways to brainstorm your family archive, like uh, collecting the stories of your family archive, best practices of oral history um, and storytelling, who you would want to interview and and how you can how you would want to do it, um, and then how we can use transformative language arts to really like deepen the, the questions and deepen the stories um, that we tell about our birth family, chosen family, married family, like um, wh whichever family uh, fits for you. Um, I've done this work, family archiving. Um, I've done for other people, um, like helping them uh, create, create their family archive by uh, organizing their photos and their stories. But I am currently in the middle of a pivot where I would like to help people who are interested, like the, who are the family historians, um, whatever that means to them, um, and help them do the work better, but like more, you know, more fully, um, if, if they can, and there's going to be like embodied writing, um, th things like that, that can like help because, because yeah, for me, it's, 
I'm passionate about that because there's a lot of talk about uh, like Ancestry.com and like genealogy and like doing the swabs. And I think that's all super interesting. And I have used Ancestry, but it leaves out stories for a lot of people, um, including myself, <laughs> um, being a Filipino, uh, like a daughter of Filipino immigrants. Um they don't have those records <laughs> digitized. And so I want people to be able to tell their own stories from their own experience. So yeah, so that is what I am presenting. And if I can piggyback uh, on that, I just want to please. say, I love the combination of what we're doing. And so much to me of what TLA is essentially about is building, bringing more voices to the table. And if they're not welcome, creating a new table with a lot of seats. And so when we put together a conference, we actually make sure that at least half or more of our keynoters are people of color and representational from many different communities. And I'm just so excited about the people who said yes and what they're bringing us, you know, Marianella Madrona, who's a um, Dominican Republic poet who lives in, in the U.S., and she works as a psychotherapist and works in mindfulness, and Reham Adley, who's doing flash fiction from her home in Egypt. We have Akwi Nij, who is a performance artist, and she's Cambodian-American and lives in Iowa. And, you know, we have Glenn North, who's performing, and he's um, the official poet laureate of the Kansas City Jazz District and does a lot to lift up black history in the city and in the country. And it goes on and on with all the different voices. It's going to be a great event. And I encourage uh, all the listeners to check it out um, and register if if it calls to you. Uh, you can check out all the details at tlanetwork.org slash conference. And I will be posting that in the show notes um, so that it's it's handy for you. So before we close, um, I would love to talk about what we have coming up besides the Power of Words conference. So Angie, you have a class coming up with TLAN. Can you talk a little bit about it, how it came up to be? Yeah. Um, it is called Liminal Spaces, the Poetry of Transitions and Change. And it is all about writing into those, uh, really leaning into those uh, spots of uncertainty uh, when we're really in the midst of, of something. Uh, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. It's, uh, you know, it's the, the hallways of our lives, the, the, the chrysalises, all of those sorts of things. <laughs> and we will be doing a lot of readings and um, individual writing creative work. Um, and then I also always love to incorporate some collaborative creative work into my classes and, and such as well. So um, I think it'll be a, a really uh, great class where we'll, we'll focus on some heavy stuff, but also how to, how to navigate that heavy stuff in our writing and kind of really lean into the transformative power of words while going through transformation. <laughs> it's, a, it's a double transformation whammy. Yeah. Ah, I love it. <laughs> and that class is coming up on September 6th. So yeah. it's starting on September 6th. So uh, people or- can register through tlanetwork.org. Uh, Joy, you, we were, we talked about it a little bit, but um, you recently released Where the Light Lives. Congratulations. Thank you. Awesome. Can you tell us how it came about and a little bit about it? Yeah. So it's my ninth album. Um, and I decided um, that I wanted to dig even deeper kind of into my life and into things that I really um, felt were important to talk about and wrestle with. Um, um, Karen shared the topic of one of the songs um, and uh, talk about the divorce that I went through and kind of helping my boys. And there's a song about reproductive choice, listening to women and girls' voices. Um, and uh social media, kind of our, our mixed feelings, at least my mixed feelings about, about social media. So, so 
with all these different situations, I um, looked for the title of the album again is where the light lives, sort of where to find community, where to find hope um, in even the most difficult situations. Um, so yeah, so pull together these 11 songs and that's the theme of the album. Mm, that's beautiful. Um, and you can get her album on joyzimmerman.com and the intro and outro of this particular episode is going to be from the album. <laughs> so, so enjoy. Uh, Karen, what, what do you have coming up besides all, everything? <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of the things I did at Goddard, I now do beyond Goddard. So I'm leading a training in how to facilitate workshops, retreats, meetings, collaborations with Joy Roulet Sawyer, who is an incredible facilitator. She got her start working in Columbine High School in Colorado after the horrendous shooting. And that's going to start September 21st. It's a nine-week intensive immersion into all things facilitation. And Joy and I are also leading a spiritual writing retreat in the Rockies, September 7th through 10th. Um, and then I'm co-leading a retreat with Catherine Lorenzen called the Big Picture Retreat at the end of October in Kansas City at Unity Village, where we have been before for the power of words. And that will be to help people dream out and map out what's the work, service, art, purpose calling to you and how can you make that come true? That's fantastic. So. Karen, what do you hope for the future of transformative language arts? Well, I hope very much that, and I see very much that the TLA network is helping us reach people around the world. We have a global committee and magical things happening there. And that people take it and run for it, run with it, not run for it. Um, <laughs> as our, some of our listeners might know, we had a program at Goddard College for 18, 19 years that is not happening anymore. And I do hope some colleges and universities take it on as a certification or master's program or another way to transmit it and help people develop ways of making a living doing this in their communities or infuse it in their jobs as social workers, educators, therapists, clergy, you know, hospice workers, and so on and so on. I really hope it grows and changes and unfolds in all kinds of new language and meaning and reach uh, well beyond, you know, where I started with it, started planning it in 1998 with others. And um, I can just kind of watch from a distance and say, go TLA, go. <laughs> I love that. How has TLA, like knowing the language of transformative language arts, um, how has that impacted the way that you do your current work. I'm going to start with Angie on this. I mean, well, like I always get the question from people, Ooh, what's that? Like that sounds yeah, interesting. Me too. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think uh, for me, like just knowing, just knowing the transformative power that these things has makes me realize that every time I, step on the stage or open up a classroom or any of those sorts of put, you know, publish an essay, any of those times, it's an opportunity for conversation. Um, it's an opportunity for growth and connection. Um, and I think it just has helped me to view what I'm doing in the world differently um, and just view more, more opportunities in, in that. Um, and and approach it slightly differently because of that. For me, I, you know, uh, Karen was talking about the art of facilitation that she's going to be doing with Joy Roy Sawyer. I really 
appreciated in the program of tra- of transformative language arts and like the code of ethics <laughs> that I don't call what I do quote healing. Um, I don't profess to be like a psychologist or, you know, transformation doesn't have to look like a medical <laughs> model of being okay. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is, you know, you, you went through grief and now, now you're not sad. It's like, well, that's not true. <laughs> like, that's, that's never going to be true. But, um, um, but it, it, you know, writing through my, my grief helped me make, help make meaning um, and make meaning beyond myself. Um, and so, so for me, for me being able to, to know the ethics um, of facilitation was huge, um, especially because I experienced some writing workshops where that those boundaries were very blurry um, and people psychoanalyzing me or other people (laughs) in the, in the workshop. Um, And yeah, just like knowing how, to bring this out into community right now for me, I have been working a lot in theater or like writing um, like playwriting or monologue writing based either on memoir or oral history uh, interviews. And so that, that has been my writing contribution as of late (laughs) with the TLA base uh, making sense of family history or fictionalizing it. Uh, I'll plug a class that in, that not none of us are teaching, but um, Liz Chesla, who is a board member, uh, TLAN board member, but she she wasn't actually when the class came onto the schedule, but she is now. <laughs> um, she's doing a class in, in the fall called "Telling It Slant" and talking about autofiction, and um, her book came out. Um, where she has fictionalized parts of her family story. And I'm like, oh, that is super interesting. And, you know, there's there's an intent behind it. And I appreciate that. And so I'm very curious. I'm ta- I am taking it. <laughs> so that's, I'm excited to, to, to see how that'll uh, shift my work. So, yeah. Enjoy. How about you? I think it's just really powerful to name things like to say even the word transformation is uh, just to know that you're part of this community that's invested in that and uh, and all the various forms of that. Um, so for me personally, like Angie was saying, what does it mean when you step on stage? Um, and for me, it's meant doing sort of a lot of work on myself, but then offering what I hope in any given performance is a whole range of human experience and, you know, the levity, but then the, you know, the struggle and um, acknowledging all that in myself and then, you know, just putting it out there um, and seeing how it resonates with other people. But just knowing that other people are taking the possibility of transformation um, seriously as well and, and modeling that. Um, so it's it's lovely to be part of this community. Thank you. And finally, Karen, um, obviously, transformative language arts has been a career and life work for you. Who knew? Um, but yeah. Yeah, who knew? But like since naming it, how has it shifted your work? Well, sometimes I I call myself the not so accidental facilitator because I just can't help myself. And I facilitate my own writing. I have recently finished a memoir called The Magic Eye about my um surprising journey through eye cancer at the same time my husband and I were finding a way to buy and save 130 acres of the land we've been working to protect for 35 years and I appreciate so much what you said about ethics Amanda because what I've learned through TLA helps me as a writer look at the ethical dimensions in in new ways and just the other day, I was facilitating a workshop through Turning Point. I had about 20 people living with serious illness, some of them with terminal illness, some of them caregivers who are exhausted, and this is their 
one two hour slot of respite. And I'm constantly feeling my edge as a facilitator. How can I listen and be present? What can I say that won't won't tell people how to be or how to name and claim things, but give them the room to find their own language? And what you pointed to with grief is is so right on right there. You know, because so much of our world you know, tries to kind of take over that naming and claiming. So to facilitate spaces through performance and teaching and facilitation and writing and collaborating, it's kind of really getting right into the control room of culture and changing some things up to allow a lot, a lot to allow many more voices to enter the conversation. Mm. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for everyone to everyone for being here today. Um, I could talk to all of you for many more hours, <laughs> or each of you for many more hours, but um, I hope everyone comes to Power of Words conference. It's going to be great. You will see all of us there. So <laughs> you're a wonderful interviewer and Angie, it's so good to hear your voice speaking of all this again. And Joy, it's been such a joy as always. Yes, this is great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you. This podcast is a project of Goddard Alumni Association. It is produced and edited by Amanda Faye Laxon. To listen to past episodes, please visit goddardalumni.com slash podcast. Please subscribe to Goddard in the World in your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. See you next time. Best prize of all.